All right, we're doing this. We're doing podcasts. We're doing five people podcasts. No, please no. We're doing five people podcast. Get ready. I thoughts. don't want to do five people podcast because I, I have to edit the podcast if it's five people. It's so many. That's a, that. That sounds like an Alton problem, not a Roxanne problem. <laughs> For <fuck's> sake. <laughs> That's true. That is that is what it is. I'll be right back. Well, this I business didn't... is sorted. I didn't study any of the topics that you posted for this impromptu podcast. I didn't look at any articles that you didn't send me. Well, it's supposed to just be Roxanne. That's why. Yeah, just a solo Roxanne podcast. Uh, with four people listening live on the Oh my recording. god. Video games are the worst thing on earth is recorded in front of a live studio audience. Yeah, it'll be great. It'll just be like us, our mics picking up like breathing and like occasional popping. <laughs> We don't get to talk or anything. That's hot. It's really set off our ASMR audience. By the way, I've been recording the... Telling this is the, the, the audio test right now. I expect Fascism. everyone to leave once we actually start. Okay. Oh, is that what's supposed to happen? Yes. It's not going to be a five-person podcast. No. I was just led it's to believe be... that I was... Um... This, this, this is hilarious... To me. Oh no! This is the. It'll be great. Don't edit the podcast. <laughs> Just post this entire shit unedited. Well, you can't make me leave now. You know, there's no button to. <laughs> God damn it! That's you're true. Right. Why don't we just start a new call? That's like easier than like continuing this bit. No, I'll just leave. Uh, have a good we we time. we love you all, Victor. Okay. All right. I guess I have to go. I'm sorry. I love you too. I love you too. I love you too. Bye. Nice hearing from you. Anyway, so that, that oh, was Jesus. entirely, Jesus entirely predictable. That was a okay. Well, that counts as our that counts as our fucking uh, intro audio bit. test. That's our interest yet. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to video games are the worst thing on earth. We are the guiding light of gamers. We are the final enclave standing between you and the disgusting depths of fascism and reactionary thought, keeping you safe from the unwashed incel hordes. I am your host, Alton, and with me as always is Reese. Hello, Reese. Hello. We are the only podcast to tell you the truth about video games that greedy companies and goblins have made our beloved hobby <laughs> the worst. Today we have a special guest with us. A returning guest, actually, Roxanne. Hello. Hey, it's Roxanne. These are for cowards. What'd you say, Roxanne? I said that video games are for cowards. <laughs> True. I could not agree more. If you have video games, you're 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 a coward. That's very true. All people with video games are cowards because if they were not cowards, they'd be going out and killing the Covenant in real life. Exactly. If they weren't cowards, they'd just be EMTs. Oh my fucking god. I've been in a, a group chat continually peer pressuring people by means of constantly saying shit like, if we all became EMTs, then we'd solve the opiate crisis. Just constantly in our group chats. It's great. I've already peer pressured someone to look into local community colleges. Oh, They're taking real? steps in the right direction. I am basically more powerful than God. Anyway, you were saying, Alton. Oh my God, I I don't know what the fuck I was saying. Now I'm just I just why would you why do you want to make everyone an EMT? So we can solve the opiate crisis. I thought I made myself clear. Oh, Alton, 
Alton, EMTs are troops, and I hear you questioning the troops. <laughs> I just want to say, Roxanne, I just want to give you a, a preemptive thank you for our ser- your service. Before you've even done anything. I mean, you know, just get it out of the way. What if, you know, she gets busy and we, we can't talk? That's a good point. All right, so we've got a couple of topics for today. We want to try and keep this one a little short because the last couple of episodes have been incredibly long and I have to edit them. So <laughs> it's taking me forever to get through one episode. Light, goofy, fun. That's us. That's right. We're going to have some light content. We're going to say nothing of substance. It's going to be great. That episode that I was on, it's going to seem like you're reading like the entirety of Das Kapital by comparison to this 20-minute long like fucking rest stop. Yeah, that's a good comparison. If that was Das Kapital, then this is uh, what's happening to my body, like the pamphlet about puberty. Exactly. A banger. A real banger. Real classic. Just a real... I've got hair growing in places it didn't before, and that is what this podcast experience will be like. This podcast is going to be like finding bonus hair. (laughs) This should be the... the... (laughs) Bonus Bonus hair. uh, Bonus hair. All right. Let's get into our first topic then, which is old tech stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and it it says here getting games to run slash how i make games on a laptop that's 10 years old running linux okay so i uh have this uh cool thing where i don't have money mm-hmm. and as a result i'm posting every day i'm, I'm going out there i'm posting i'm playing shitty video games for dorks mm-hmm. on a uh, laptop that is uh older than uh you know just it's just 10 years old it's right. 10 years old. I can barely run Team Fortress 2. And uh, it's running Mint, so uh, Linux Mint. So I don't have native support for most games. So like, what I have to do is, uh, on this 10-year-old MacBook that I got for free, because someone in another group chat was very generous, uh, what I have to do with this is uh, I have to... Uh, I have to uh, go through a bunch of like different hoops. I have to. There's a lot of googling in order to figure out how to get Wine to work. In order for me to, I have two installations of Steam on this device. That's one odd. of them is in a. Uh, one of them is the Linux client, and the other one using a uh, program called Wine, which translates Windows programs usually pretty badly into uh linux programs i have a windows version of uh, steam that works well enough uh installed on this as well as a native uh uh linux one and uh yeah i can i can play risk of rain okay i guess so would you say that this is a rewarding experience trying to figure out stuff with uh, the old computer and trying to figure out these workarounds Oh, yes, absolutely. Like, I personally believe that uh, it's actually extremely good for a variety of reasons. Uh, One of them is uh, just that, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm getting a lot of experience for the Linux environment by having to uh, go through, like, 42 hoops in order to get Final Fantasy XI to run. (laughs) Right. Well, if I can interrupt one second, that's less hoops than you had to go through uh, to get it to run when it came out, or at least get to level 5. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bonkers. Uh, but uh, just to get the dang thing open, 
Like, I'm still, like, uh, struggling with getting the Play Online client to uh, work. I can't get to the game proper, but we've made steps in the right direction. Like, so far, the game installs, and the Play Online client opens, and then it yells at me. And you know what? That's a step in the right direction. I think we're I think we're getting good progress in. Getting yelled at is definitely a big thumbs up whenever I'm dealing with computers or technology. Um, exactly. I enjoy that That's a lot. That's why I stopped working in help desk anyway. So uh, what I've been doing is uh, mostly just uh, looking at like what games I got through like humble bundles I got ten years ago. Oh my gosh! Are uh, able to run on Linux. And uh, that's pretty great because, uh, you know, speedrunning? Yeah. Yes. Speedrunning is something I have to do out of necessity now. Like, just in order <laughs> to force replay value out of games that don't have a huge amount of that. Interesting. I have to uh, just think, like, uh, but how do I make video games, like, that are just... Old, crappy games fun. How, you make your own old, fun. Old games that oftentimes aren't good fun. How can I force replay value out of Undertale? Mm. And uh, then I do. That's a very interesting point, uh, I think, to talk about when we're talking about like old games or this does not apply to me now as I have way more games than I have time to play any of them. But back when I was a child with like five games, it really is true that when you have a bunch of time and a lack of individual games, you spend a lot more time on those games. So like I became familiar with them in a way that I have not done sense essentially in that i've no i'm familiar with like every single aspect of these games from my childhood like arcanum and lords of magic and you know stuff like that because i just played them ad nauseum well beyond where it was still unique and fun to where i was having to make up my own rules to play with essentially to make it interesting these days it with uh, the amount of Steam games that I have, I will Steam refund if I just don't like the way the gold coins look. So I agree <laughs> 100% with Alton. Um, and as the uh, most ancient creature in this podcast, uh, I remember when I was a kid and I had my Commodore 64, but I was too young to understand how to actually start up the game. So I needed like help to start them. So it'd just be... I, I, if I wanted, to ch- I couldn't change games at all. So if I picked Moon Moon Patrol, that was it for the next two hours, <laughs> and I had to I had to play Moon Control, a Moon Patrol, <laughs> no matter what. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's 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 a definitely a different experience. You know, it's hard to slag having like this much choice and variety and value. But there's definitely something special about just exploring every little angle of uh, what, upon revisit, are occasionally some real terrible games. Not Moon Control. Yeah. For instance, uh, (laughs) one of my most dubious accomplishments in the world of gaming was unlocking every character for a Sonic R. (laughs) No, that's just smart. That's just, you put that shit on a resume. (laughs) That's that's when the real game starts. (laughs) Yeah, when you unlock... When you unlock uh, Robotic Tails and Golden Sonic. Yeah, Sonic R is a perfect game. You can run around the city just listening to that dope-ass music that's just like, Can't you see the sun shining on me? It makes me feel so free, so alive. And it just... I feel like I honestly 
really enjoyed Sonic R, even though it was bad. But I mean, sometimes bad games are good, actually. <laughs> yeah, you're blowing my mind here. What like, is the, I would oh, honestly this is a good say topic. that like an interesting and bad game is infinitely superior to like an extremely polished and well done product. That's true, honestly. It's it's very rare that you find a game that is essentially like a B movie, generally because unlike with a movie, you just have to watch a movie. If a bad game, you have to actually interact with it, and usually if it's quote unquote bad it also controls like ass and has frustrating elements. Um, but there are occasionally games I would say are so goofy and over the top they are have infinitely more charm than just a, the next Ubisoft product. I have a very dim memory of Never Dead, the game where uh, you're an undying dude who uh, just loses arms and shit constantly. Uh, Never Dead, I would say, is better than uh, you know just most Ubisoft games. Because it's just weird and bad. <laughs> hard, hard to debate. Uh, I could, I would argue that it wouldn't be a good argument, but like, <laughs> it never does good as hell because it's a, the one game I know where you rip off your own head and throw it in order to solve environmental problems or puzzles. I, I'm very curious as to what would you say is like the worst game that you enjoy. The worst game that I enjoy is probably like. Like an objective bad, or like, uh, yeah, just. I would say subjectively. I mean, let me check my Steam library real fast. <laughs> like, I, I I have my answer ready to go. This is based. Uh, we were talking about something kind of similar uh, that one night about horror games. But for me, um, I I actually loaded up Legacy Realm of Terror, which is an old PC oh my God. <laughs> dungeon crawler game, um, where it's like a haunted house. It has a very like. Um, Lovecraftian theme, and it is there's good stuff, but it the gameplay is just really bad. It's just like the stats make no sense. There's so many of them that are a hundred percent useless. So much of the game is just like trying to figure out the one little item that you can pick <laughs> up, so you can like the, the 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 fetish will destroy the zombies. This crystal will destroy the fish monsters and stuff like that. And it's it's not explained at all, and it's terrible. And I fucking loved it um as a you know a lot of it is nostalgia um that grows today because it's just 100 percent a mm. forgotten game um that's just no respect at all perhaps deservedly uh, <laughs> but uh just said like the, the what it was trying to do just like the creep factor and me just like meeting it all the way with the haunted house stuff um to me really really worked that's a very interesting i think you were telling me about this game uh, a little while ago. I can't remember what we were talking about, but yeah. Somehow, that really old game came up. Probably just because I always bring it up, just like really annoyingly in situations where people aren't even talking about games. Just like at a bar, uh, walk up to a stranger, start talking about Legacy Realm of Terror. Uh, yeah. It doesn't go well. No, it always goes well. Everyone loves this game. Everyone. I've never even heard about it before Reese told me about it, and I love it. It's the best. Nobody... I, I I might have created this game whole cloth out of my imagination <laughs> and just put it onto the internet. <laughs> That's the, the power of the power of creative thinking. Uh, you put it... <laughs> this game didn't exist until you just thought about it. 
The game exactly. is a tulpa. Exactly. So what about you, you people? Uh, I would say that most games that I like are like, uh, well, there's a handful. Scribblenauts isn't like objectively a bad game, but like it's pretty clunky. The controls aren't that good. A lot of it, but like the sandbox mode is like the main appeal of it for me because it's basically a game where you do dumb shit constantly. And uh, there's a lot of uh, nouns of in which you can play with. Even if the verb selection is pretty small, the noun selection is infinite. <laughs> uh, other things are like uh, console uh, RPG maker or WarioWare DIY stuff because like a lot of things you can't share anymore. Or like you just from the get-go you couldn't share at all because uh, console limitations or the servers fall uh, going down or just... If you were to take like the Super Nintendo or the Super Famicom version of RPG Maker, uh, you wouldn't really be able to like distribute anything in a reasonable way unless you just like put up like some save states on Itch.io or something. That's really cool and good because like it's you make really temporary and really intensely personal art using like a pretty limited set of tools. I think RPG Maker is a great uh, example for this this kind of thing where. I don't know. I'm sure that there's it's more robust than when I played with it. But I remember playing through RPG Maker games that I don't think would necessarily hold up in a modern environment, but felt like really engaging and personal, even if uh, you know there there was a very amateurish quality. Um, and I think you see that with a lot of Ichio games, where you know there's there's a punk rock feel to to it that it wasn't necessarily absent in the indie scene uh but i think is becoming more and more prevalent like i've been playing some uh itchio horror games uh just uh, here and there um and they it, it just has that deconstructed raw feeling of punk yeah like itchio i would argue is a better platform than steam and the fact that Steam is too cowardly to ask uh, Colin Space Twinks to put his Vore game up is uh, <laughs> really dumb. It's just really bad of Steam. <laughs> like, do better Valve. Yeah, do better Valve. We want to see Colin Space Twinks' like, game about getting ate by a Dargan. You say that you're not going to take any game off that's not trolling or illegal. And I don't see anything trolling or illegal about Vore. I would on I would say that Colin Space Twinks makes like extremely good like twine games that appeal to like four people. <laughs> you fucking and you were one of those one of those four people on this podcast. It is actually we us three are the three of the three fourths of Colin Space Twinks target demographic. Yes, and the fourth is Colin himself. The fourth is Colin Space Twinks. You know why? Because he makes personal, intimate shit about like a symbiotic parasite that make becomes a fursuit. That's amazing. Yeah, do it. Buy it. It's on itch.io. Spacetwinks.itch.io. Fucking do it. That's the podcast game of the week. Go buy it. Go buy the fir- symbiotic the fursuit. Uh, symbiotic fursuit. <laughs> anyway, I think my my games. Thinking about it a little bit about what terrible terrible games i really enjoyed growing up obviously sonic r is probably at the top (laughs) it's really hard to argue that sonic r is a good game because it's definitely been critically panned and i think more popularly sort of hated you know thinking about b-movie games essentially i think that there are two in particular that stand out for me the first is deadly premonition 
Deadly Premonition is good as hell. You take those horrible <laughs> sin words out of your mouth well, right Deadly now. Deadly Premonition is a is a great game in some aspects in that it's a great story and it has a unique setting and very interesting characters, but mechanically it's kind of goofy. I like how when you fish it's a roulette. <laughs> but I think that's pretty much as close to you as you can get to like a real B-movie game in that it's still enjoyable to play even though it's kind of clunky and weird and definitely on a budget. And that's, you know, that's definitely an important aspect, I would say, to most B-movie games because I don't think you can be uh, charmingly bad in any way if you're like a AAA video game. You're just bad. I would say that games are much better if there's weird and terrible verbs. And Deadly <laughs> Premonition is mostly weird and terrible verbs. Like, instead of waiting, you smoke a cigarette for nine hours. Yeah. Uh, you drive, the car has, like, the driving system is in first person and is, like, exceptionally detailed. There's, like, uh, you, you can put on turn signals. I don't think they do anything, but you can put on turn signals. <laughs> like, it's the most, it's so good in a dumb and bad way, and I love it. Um, I agree that AAA games need to have those extra elements to it because they're so sanded down and which is not you know not a new opinion but i think that when they fall apart like if a triple a game like doesn't work it it's just so bad because there's nothing interesting injected into it and sometimes there are triple a games that i do end up enjoying but you know even then i understand that like this is you know big bland blockbuster game making not anything that's like really trying to engage me on like a real intellectual level ubisoft is not trying to engage me on an intellectual level i would say that all games need fishing mini games when it comes to triple a video games the reason why they cannot really match the sort of weird and charming off-the-wall aspects of some of the games we're talking about now is that they are insanely risk-averse. They can't take any risks because they're spending millions and millions of dollars to create, like, these smash blockbusters. And that is almost... That almost creatively stifles you. Games with a small budget have more creative freedom in some ways than games with like a huge triple a budget oh absolutely and and you know larger teams make it harder to creatively kind of like duck and move because it's like if there's 200 people working on this one shooting mechanic and you know you're like this is lame it's difficult to get those 200 people to switch to something else like the resource it you know it's like an ocean liner turning around but just a couple of people, you know, trying to figure out what's most fun, what's weirdest, what's best, can easily just tear down what they have and build something better. There was a platforming game that was detailed in a book I read recently, Rise of the Video Game Zinesters. And uh, the platforming game, uh, the main mechanic was uh, getting through things, by, getting through the level by uh, clicking and it creates a block every time you click. But there's a 50% chance that the block is a cactus that kills you instantly if you touch it. And that game is like something someone blasted out in two hours for a game jam. And Mm. it is so fucking dope. That sounds dope. And I would like to know what game that is. It's called like, I forgot what it is, but just like, I'll, uh, I'll look it up later. I'll put it in the show notes. 
Have either of you played a beginner's guide? I haven't played no, a beginner's I've guide. No, I've not played a beginner's so. guide. That's made by the same person who made uh... Stanley Parable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I uh, I just think it's relevant because it's it's a game where uh, if you're not familiar, it's a game that like presents all these game jam projects from this per this one person in an attempt to like get them to make more games after they stopped. And like as you progress through them, there's this whole interactive story, and each game has its own like weird indie mechanic or element to it that boils into it. I, I, I just mention it because it's a, it's a game that takes that aesthetic that we're talking about here and just kind of like makes it its own kind of meta game with its own story. Um, mm. And I recommend both of you play it. It's amazing. I've heard very good things about it. I, I will check it out eventually. I haven't even uh, finished the Stanley Parable. I've like gone through it a couple times, but I haven't gotten everything. I don't know if anyone noticed... But I actually said that there were two video games that I wanted to bring up as good examples of B-movie games. I uh, apologize, Alton. Sorry, What's I did the other one. The other game is Earth Defense Force. Not just in terms of being a cheap budget game that is eminently enjoyable, but also 100% aping the style of B-movies from like the 1950s. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, I've been... I got a free subscription to Shudder, so I've been kind of going through a lot of old, bad, goofy horror movies lately. Right. And that that aesthetic, I think, is something, you know, it's 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 a good good urge to try to make something as good and as cool as possible, and you know, resisting being cheesy. Um, but EDF just leans into it so hard and it just it's so fun to like just be in this like whole world with all these spiders and ants and insane sci-fi things um you know and, and the and and it also reflects in the mechanics of like all these guns that do nothing are stupid uh, <laughs> yeah. um, and you have to kind of like figure out the best way to deal with it or you know you're just like I don't care I'm drunk I'm bringing the big dumb gun you can't reload <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, EDF sounds great EDF is fantastic I've managed <laughs> so on our, our little lefty gaming server we've managed to go from like I think it was like just me and Bacon Knight who were playing Earth Defense Force to like roping in like four or five people just based Everyone off of the game. It. it is very it's it's surprisingly good. Like people look at it and like, what is this shitty looking PS2 game? And then they actually play it like, oh wow, I get it now. I get why ever why you really love this game. And then they they're hooked and they they want to scream EDF at the top of their lungs. And they want to save our mother Earth from any alien attack. From vicious giant insects who have once again come back. We'll unleash all yeah, our forces. We won't cut weaker. them any slack. Evil strength e of one. E e boys. There we go. That's, that's I've enjoyed guys. that. I've, every time I hear that, the, uh, that tune, my immediate thing I recognize, because like, actually the first time I've heard that song ever was in the context of Solidarity Forever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a solidarity against Bugs Forever. Solidarity against bugs forever doesn't really I mean, have this the is same the anti Ian Miles Chong song. I can <laughs> yeah, understand this... why uh, Pete Seeger decided to like make it go a little bit away from uh, bug specific solidarity. Mm. Well, this is a metaphor, you know, for the for yeah. the kids. He so couldn't they, have anticipated Ian Miles Chong. <laughs> Who could? 
But uh, so he really, it's his, it's his own mistake for believing that we wouldn't need bug specific solidarity solidarity songs. But you know, in the twenty first century, he was just like, whoa, whoa, why would anyone need a song about killing bugs? That's dumb. I'm gonna change it to being about in a union. <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> nowadays, we need that more than ever to keep the revolting Ant Man at bay. Before uh, we move on to the next topic, do you want me to tell you an embarrassing story about old games and myself? Yes. Absolutely. The time I got most in trouble in my childhood was back in the day when uh, there was these things called BBSs, and you would dial up on your landline to this program uh, where you could play games or chat with people. It was very kind of like, proto-internet for me before the uh, September or whatever they call it, uh, when everybody went on uh, America Online, including myself. But I didn't understand uh, what long distance was. So I, the month that I discovered the bulletin board system, I, mm-hmm. I played them so much that the games on there, Legend of the Red Dragon, Elite, uh, that we received a phone bill in like an Amazon package, just like filled with just like papers of just like my charges. And it was just like this insane, <laughs> expensive, it was, it was, it was like $700 phone bill of oh just God. me playing Legend of the Red Dragon. And they were <laughs> able to talk to the phone company and I don't know, work something out, but there, there has never been such hysteria and, <laughs> and, and yelling. And that's when... <laughs> That's when Reese was sold to AT and T to cover his debt. Yeah, I was put in the uh, I was put in the AT and T mines uh, to, to the mine. data mines, the data mines, and to mine created, the, created the man you know today. What, what I'm trying to say is that I've been extremely online since before most of y'all were born. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. The most online you online. can be bulletin board system games that's fun that's a fun story i like that so you ready to move on to our next little i don't know if this is assault mines this is just sort of like weird this legal advice.txt post i'm worried but share it reese would you like to read it out i would love to read it out legal advice is is the only good reddit forum mm. i would uh, argue that frankenbike is also good I'm sure that there's other good ones, but in in my own personal heart, this is the only one that I can bring myself to go to. Have, have you seen Frankenbike though? <laughs> no. Link it to Frankenbike after this. Just just read it off. Pick it up. We'll put it in the show notes. Frankenbike. So here is here is what has been posted on legal advice on Reddit. Can insults against gamers be classed as a hate crime? Self not legal advice. Oh boy. By the title, I mean, say a TV show making fun of gamers by enforcing stereotypes. Also, could we sue the developers or TV studio making said TV show? I ask because watching last night's episode of Criminal Minds, not only did the entire episode enforce the stereotype that games make people aggressive, but a comment was made by Dr. Tara Lewis, played by Aisha Tyler, that could have been overwhelming to guys recruited for their ability to hang out their mom's basement playing Call <laughs> of Duty. That's the quote. It was 
1238 <laughs> episode four season Jesus. season 13 um for, for anyone, anyone interested, interested yeah i'm a gamer and while i do know people who play call of duty none of them have ever committed murder as far <laughs> as i know so like i already asked could this be classed as a hate crime if a serious tv show like criminal minds made fun of or enforced the stereotype of say black people oh, Jesus. Asian people Irish people, Irish people, homos- <laughs> homosexual people, or even other kin. Oh, I imagine there would be a serious questions raised. So why it's not the same for gamers? <laughs> if it is the same, then how does someone go about taking legal action? Good God! The money would go towards Samaritans here in the UK, as I know from personal experience. Many people use game as an escape from depression. This, this is-, is a serious question. <laughs> <laughs> This man is uh, gamers or troops. Is yeah, he's, my response. He, he believes that gamers should be a protected class of people, like like homosexual people or uh, black people. It's just like apparently being rude to gamers is a hate crime, and honestly, this is reflective of a mental of a much broader mentality in the gaming sphere that I'll get into after we read this next comment. <laughs> So, Ramadi says, you're uh, not doing much to dispel the stereotypes here, champ. <laughs> <laughs> Which is 100% true. Like, I would just like to say that this, I believe, is reflective of a much broader issue in this whole gamer quote-unquote sphere. And that really, as we've talked about before, this is such a pervasive cultivated identity that some of these people have based their identities so firmly around the consumption of video games as a product that they feel threatened by a stupid CSI show or whatever. Oh, Criminal Minds. Criminal Minds is 10 times as stupid as CSI, just as an aside. But so they feel threatened by a fucking dumb as shit Criminal Minds TV show about that has, I believe this is the one with Logan Paul, isn't it? I think he's talking about that. To be fair, Logan (laughs) Paul did get shot to death. Yeah, it's got Logan Paul. Holy shit. (laughs) So this is the one that has the dude that went into the Japanese suicide forest and was like, Whoa, guys, look at this. It's a a suicide body. Wow. I never expected to find this in the suicide forest. The fucking idiot bottom-feeding YouTuber scum. (laughs) That is Logan Paul. A casting agent saw that and decided to put him in Criminal Minds. No, that was this was before that, actually. <laughs> I, I, I'm aware, but uh, mm. I think it's a funny lie to perpetrate. But anyway, yeah. Basically, if the only identity you've ever developed is around video games, then you start to have these insane brain worms, like thinking that you deserve the same protections as persecuted minorities, like black people and lgbtq people (laughs) that you think that it's a hate crime to fucking make fun of gamers it's like what and the thing is too it's like the game of course games can mean something to you that's not what we're saying but it's literally everybody games uh even if they Mm -hmm. don't consider themselves like 
part of this identity, this what should be a protected class, as argued by this guy. Um, you know, people play Candy Crush on their phone. People enjoy playing chess, checkers, or whatever. Um, and, you know, it can mean a lot, and it can have specific identities. But it's just, like, so ubiquitous, just trying to assign this. It's just, like, just imagine if somebody tried to, like put TV watching as like a protected class. Can, can you be arrested? Can I arrest somebody? Can I sue somebody because they made fun of me for watching, uh, criminal minds. Yeah. Criminal minds. And while, while I do think you should be arrested for watching criminal minds, um, (laughs) that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a protected class and it's, it's, it's something that comes, I think, because games have this overly developed reward system that isn't really tethered usually to anything kind of like specific. Like you don't have to pay attention to the stories or the context of most games to get enjoyment out of the mechanics. And I think a lot of people don't. And I think that that's fine. Mm. But I I think that also creates this kind of like false sense of just in self-importance because you know you're you've made it to diamond rank in league of legends games are fundamentally about watching numbers go up and feeling good because numbers are going up well mm-hmm. i think that to expand on what you said reese most games are a form of power fantasy and escapism which sure, sure. in a way kind of reward you and build you up as this savior of humanity from final fantasy to halo combat evolved you're always playing like this seriously important protagonist and i'm almost i almost feel like like the line between fiction and reality becomes so blurred to some of these people that this this constant focus on yourself and your importance and your power kind of twisted their minds into actually believing it i don't know the uh thing about uh the power fantasy stuff is that Mm. i noticed that like most games as i we were talking about earlier about like odd games the uh extremely polished and like uh like triple a games are sold the most and uh they're all power fantasies that's true yeah. Sure, sure. I would agree Meanwhile, with that. Meanwhile, Dwarf Fortress, the perfect game, <laughs> right? is about uh, making sure a bunch of Gimli's don't die in the woods. <laughs> don't get fucking eaten by elephants. Or My Summer Car, which I would argue is an even more perfect game. <laughs> what game? My Summer Car. It's a oh game about... Uh, Desert Bus. No, no, no. It's e- no. My summer car, I would argue, is harder to core than Desert Bus because you have to assemble a car engine from scratch. It's great. That's, that sounds dope. I, I think that the fact that these people have constantly catered to with power fantasies has sort of... It seems to have almost led to a kind of entitlement and that they think that games are all about them and that anything that's not about them related to games represents a threat. That's how they react to developers sort of being their own person instead of this kowtowing, you know. Instead of just an extremely apologetic game factory. Yeah, exactly. Or the games made for a different demographic than what they are in. They seem to see these as like 
existential threats in a way that does not is not healthy. One hundred percent. I mean, I certainly don't want to rehash the arena net thing, but mm. I think that that's the most recent example of of that sort of thing. And it's just like you know, you see that the the hate boners that developed for you know the the rogues gallery of women in games, etc. Mm. That uh, these people just hold this hate torch for, and you know, I. And it's insane to me that, you know, you can internalize this kind of, like, weird identity about it where you can't just say, eh, you know, like, personally, fighting games aren't for me. Uh, I am not going to track down Sonic Fox to his home and freak out about it because I don't like (laughs) I don't like fighting games. I'm just not going to watch Evo. It's fine. But for some people, they have to freak out every time uh, Steve Gaynor or something uh, tweets, or you know the the other the other figures, Zoe Quinn and Nita Sarkeesian. When there's the mildest of criticism, they have to go in fake gamer girl mode and mm. uh, just just fill their diapers, just one hundred percent full diaper, and uh, it's 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 embarrassing. It honestly is holding games back as a medium that. For films and te- even television, these complex criticisms from multiple angles have been around for decades. Like, you've got feminist critique of film, you've got Marxist critique of film with, like, uh, Slavo Žižek. You know, you have, like, all these different ways to analyze film as an art form, but the only kind of acceptable criticism for quote-unquote gamers and their gamer identity is merely a mechanical review you can't review it from a socio-political stance you can't review it from like a feminist stance you can't really dig into big ideas or politics in any meaningful way in games without just upsetting a huge chunk of basement dwelling goblinoid fuckers which is exactly why Sonic Fox is the uh, vanguard of the gamer revolution is going to uh, is universally beloved and uh, will, you know, make sure that uh, all games from here on out are going to uh, not need to be criticized from a feminist or Marxist perspective because uh, he is a gift from God. It's the guy who uh, won like two tournaments in a fursuit. (laughs) Solidarity with with Sonic Fox. Sonic Solidarity national hero. with Sonic Fox, the the official gamer of the podcast. Sonic Fox is a treasure. Sonic Fox is the only good gamer. Don't add us. He is the only good one. Not even we are good gamers. In like promo posters, he just uses a drawing of his persona. Hell yeah, that's dope. <laughs> He's the fucking coolest dude. That's way cooler than like ninety percent of just personality devoid gaming chuds they they couldn't fit his victory medal around his neck and he was just so ready he was just like tapped his nose just like right here bro and he was just like his victory pose <laughs> was the medal around his out of his fox nose his snoot <laughs> his snoot um and it's amazing it, it is really amazing um i i delight that he exists even though uh, i i would only watch fighting games played by sonic what we need is an all Sonic Fox and Sonic Fox variant fighting game scene, and then uh, you know we'll finally be able to you know advance as a civilization. Hell yeah! Sold. All right, so let's move on to our last topic because I think we're wrapping up in terms of uh, time. 
So the next topic is a a favorite among gamers, uh, but a a first time for uh, your favorite gaming podcast is uh, a little article about a little Star game. Citizen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know it's it's obvious you know the the biggest scam in gaming right now um it does seem like it's coming together but it's it's absurd um and we'll get into it a little bit but we have a, a reading series here um do you have it up alton i do uh, i'll get us started and then uh you and roxanne can jump in uh a little later in star citizen backer sues to get forty five hundred dollars back comma loses by nathan grayson uh, and this is from kotaku mm-hmm. um, currently in action publishing <laughs> this article god damn it kinlord <laughs> used to be a star citizen super fan once upon a time he helped fund robert space industries endless maiden voyage with forty five hundred dollars of his own money now years of delays and changes he wants out RSI didn't get back to him, and he sued. It didn't go his way. Lord first backed Star Citizen in 2012, the year it was announced. After that, he continued to back the project with multiple additional payments over several years. He loves studio founder Chris Roberts, Wing Commander Space Sim, and wanted another game like it. Then, as millions of dollars in crowdfunding money poured in, the feature creep began. Star Citizen grew in scope from a multiplayer game to a full-blown MMO that included among many, many other features and modes. First-person shooter combat. That addition was the sticking point for Lord, who has multiple sclerosis and suffers from tremors that make fast twitch games near impossible for him to play. Oh, that's sad. It sounds, it sounds like a real legit reason. Yeah. The biggest problem for Squadron 42, they never got rid of multiplayer co-op, but also added first-person shooter as, re- as required parts of the game, Lord said in an email to Kotaku, referring to Star Citizen's story-focused campaign, which is the closest thing to Wing Commander that RSI has to offer. So they added something I can't do, but got rid of the part where at least I could have my friends carry me. Aw. Years passed. Star Citizen's crowd- crowdfunded budget grew to $190 million and counting, and Lord began to lose faith. He'd signed on to a volunteer tester of alpha versions of the game, and he even got invited to join Star Citizen's exclusive Evocati tester <laughs> group, which tries out builds before they're released to the wider public. But progress was slow. Nearing six years into the two-year project, they have yet to complete a single star system, though they promised 100 as a stretch goal, Lord said. Jesus. Worse. He didn't like the methods Roberts and his employees were using to entice new players to join the crew for their rickety shuttle launch to parts unknown. Lord admitted to being sort of scared by the game's marketing techniques, which he characterized as gamification of the idea of being a backer. Mm. Star Citizen Mm. developers rewarded big-time backers with ships and perks like land ownership, promising more features in a game that was far from delivering its initial promises. Quote, they didn't just figure out how to sell DLC for a game that didn't exist yet, he said. They figured out how to sell the scope creep itself. Mm. Earlier this year, Lord decided he finally had it. He wanted his money back. Right away, he ran into a problem. 
unbeknownst to him, RSI had changed the terms and service and was no longer eligible for a refund because it had been more than 14 days since he forked over his $4,500. Oh, Lord. Lord tried to get a refund anyway. He submitted a customer support ticket, after which he got told to wait for a specialist who, based on screenshots, Lord showed Kotaku never showed up, even after a month of waiting. Lord also tried the game's forums... My questions to their forums were buried in a mega thread, not responded to, then locked a month later after not being answered. To oh my god. Noting that many other users who requested refunds got stuck in the same limbo. After giving up on the refund idea, Lord sent a demand letter to RSI threatening litigation if the issue didn't get resolved by June 29th. That didn't happen, so on July 13th, off to court it went. Lord emphasized to Kotaku that he had hopes. His sense his first payments to RSI had occurred before the current 14-day refund policy got put into place, he'd be able to argue that RSI technically still owed him money. That strategy didn't work. Though the terms of service clearly say they don't apply to transactions before that date, SIG slash RSI successfully argued to do exactly that. Oh my god, Lord said. According to documents from West District Santa Monica Courthouse, the case got dismissed without prejudice. In an email to Kotaku, an RSI rep said that, according to the company's records, Lord made 61 pledges to Star Citizen since 2013. The terms of service are not retroactive, but a huge majority of Mr. Lord's pledges came after the terms of service was changed to specify arbitration. And those pledges are under that terms of service, the rep wrote. His pledges, with new money on top of his earlier pledges, required him to accept the new terms of service. In a separate statement to Kotaku, RSI defended its current refund policy. Our terms of service provides refunds for 14 days after each pledge is made. But company policy is to refund anyone who had second thoughts for up to 30 days after their pledge. No questions asked, the statement read. Outside of this window... We still consider refund requests for exceptional cases, but generally at that point, the funds need to be considered available for development. This policy is actually very generous when compared to nearly any other gaming company. Most publishers would not allow any refund at all after players have downloaded and played for several hours. Lord is glad he tried to get his money back, but he can't help but look at RSI in a new, decidedly dimmer light. He recounted a time in 2012 when... As part of a golden ticket promotion, he got an email directly from Chris Roberts. I wrote back, explaining that my reflexes were pretty poor, I already knew I had MS, and explained that I wasn't ever going to be much of a fighter pilot, Lord said. I got a heartfelt email back explaining that in the universe he was building, everyone was going to have a place. They were good people, and somewhere along the way, they lost their way. And that's the end. You know, I think that this is very... Interesting in that I feel like we've almost touched on this issue a little bit earlier. Not quite in the same context, but talking about how, in a way, a huge budget is creatively stifling more than like a smaller budget. And I think that, in some sense, Star Citizen's success has also completely been its undoing. I mean, yeah, I, I would agree, but I also think too, it's just like you know, it's 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 insane. Can you imagine the idea 
they were just like, ah, oh, we're just going to keep making the same movie for six years until it's done and keep it. Re- I mean, there has been nightmare productions like that, but they're viewed as nightmares, right. not as like a wonderful, ex- you know, exploration of creativity or whatever. And, you know, you see here just like right off the back, it's, it's to me, it's very much a scam to pitch a game concept and then to have this kind of feature creep to never deliver it. <laughs> yeah, and never deliver it. And it's just like nothing about, you know, it seems like we're we're gonna build on what we said and make it more interesting. We're just like, ah, oh, we're gonna add this single player campaign with like Gary Oldman, I think, and fighter pilots, <laughs> etc. And that, and you know, and this guy has, uh, you know, accessibility issues, and it is a game company clearly not interested in uh, the fallout that it's creating with by doing this kind of stuff. And I and I don't know. It's just like it, and and on top of that, just the deplorable nature of just like charging thousands of dollars for ships and you know you get land privileges it's just like it's 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 so ugly that it's 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 rightly been the butt of every joke roxanne what's your take on this my take is that there shouldn't be such a thing as star citizen because we should abolish borders abolish (laughs) state abolish the need for there to be for there to be we need uh, to abolish space borders Abolish space borders. There's no need to be a star citizen when there is no state and no borders. That's a good point. There Great should be point. no space state. Abolish space state. No ice in space. <laughs> space abolish, ice. Abolish star ice. I, I can support that. It's... I don't know. This is like late stage capitalism, the game. Honestly. <laughs> 100%. You, you're being... It's... it's neoliberal capitalism in a nutshell you're paying thousands of dollars based off of speculation that this game will ever come out much less be any 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 good this is just like the most that games have ever been about that kind of capitalism can you imagine trying to explain to like another person like one like a normal human being who did the only like vaguely knows what video games through like Candy Crush or whatever, mm-hmm. just being like, "Oh yeah, I paid three thousand dollars for a ship that is twenty percent <laughs> bigger and looks like a boot, and none of the other ships look like a boot." <laughs> They're gonna look at my ship. What? Reese. Reese, no. Reese has died. He he's been taken out by the Star Citizen Council. Just full red mad nude, getting mad at Star Citizen. And then it's just like there was a huge pop outside from whatever the Transformer was and just all went dark. It scared the shit out of me. And it felt like the, <laughs> the right, spirit of Chris Roberts slapping me nice. down. That's funny. I'm Roxanne. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing the outro right now. I'm busy. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, that's it for video games are the worst thing on earth for this week. Um, where can people find you and your great content, Roxanne? Uh, at Snugcrow on Twitter or at Snugcrow on uh, awoo.space. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Dope. 
All right, Reese, where can people find you and your great online content where they don't have much time to find you because I believe the Star Citizen Council is after you now? It's true. Um, check out uh, the the archives of what I said um, before <laughs> I was murdered at your very good bud on Twitter, and that that's the only service I deign to use. And you can find our official Twitter account at vigatwito on Twitter, where we do our episodes announcements and fun interactions with fans and reposting things which are relevant to video games and how they are the worst thing on earth. You need to give me the password to that so I can make great posts. Oh my god. <laughs> You'll have to send me some sample some sample posts, but we could arrange that possibly. Okay, D- cool. DM me any posts that you want to make in the meantime. Indeed. Okay. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at 8alton8 and on YouTube at AltonPlays. So until next time... Become an EMT. Oh my god. <laughs> thank you, Roxanne. Thank all of thank all of you in the world. Uh I retract the thanks to to uh anyone who works at Star Citizen who shut my power off. Uh <laughs> stop the chemtrails over my house. This is real. Good night. <laughs> Alright. Thanks for watching. Well all right. Yeah. <laughs> I stand by Fuck what I me. said. Alright, thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank, thank, thanks for staring at the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>